This is a relay project. to the very first episode of Seriously with Supriya and Ryan. I am Supriya Devetti. I'm Ryan Jesperson. Ryan, we're doing it. We've, we've long time coming. Um, how's your week been so far, buddy? Oh, really good. Looking forward to getting this bird off the ground. Supriya, you and I first talked about working together back in September of 2019. Uh, talk radio colleagues at the time and we kind of just we felt like we clicked from the very beginning so this feels like a long time coming and I'm really excited about what seriously is going to bring to Canadians who are looking for insight into the big national news stories of the week for sure and I mean a lot has happened news-wise here you know uh, Europe is on fire as is a good chunk of Western Canada the Prime Minister got a very bad haircut Um, Joe Rogan said Canada was a communist country uh, Health Canada approved Moderna vaccine for kids six months to five years old, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Uh, the Ford government is mulling, giving strong mayor powers to Toronto and Ottawa. Um, you know, critics say it would undercut the power of city council, but like strong mayor powers can actually be good. I kind of like uh, where he's going with that, to be honest I know, with you. I know. Yeah, so do I. And like, it's um, it's bad right now. And I'm putting bad in air quotes because, you know, Ford has already undercut the power of city councils. And so I think that's why everybody's getting their back up against the wall. But if you want shit to get done at the municipal level, I don't know. Strong mayors aren't the worst thing in the world. You know, Yeah, you had uh, Doug Ford, obviously a former Toronto city councilor, cut the size of city council in half a while ago. And it caught a lot of people's attention for obvious reasons. Uh, People are saying that it might have been his experience living for quite some time in Chicago that may have informed his take on the powers that mayors should have. You see that in the big American cities, Los Angeles included as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you know city councilors should have the same powers when it comes time to budget and the like as a mayor. People vote the mayor in to lead that council. It's kind of more of an executive model, but we'll see how councilors push back. They're losing their grip, so I would imagine not everybody's going to love it. Yeah, but I mean, like, what power or what does city council right now have to show for themselves as it is, particularly in Toronto? So it's like, it'd be one thing if they were getting all this stuff done and they had a very impressive agenda to show for, um, but I don't know that they do. So, yeah. Meh. Listen, every Wednesday, we're going to be bringing our audience an episode of Seriously that will take the top stories, news, politics, what have you, what Canadians are talking about, and we'll get into it. What does it mean for people in their workplaces, around their kitchen tables? We want to cut through all the noise of the stories, and we want to get to what actually matters. Now, of course, we wouldn't be able to do this show without the support of our amazing title sponsor. And if you've ever had to deliver a training program in a regulated industry like healthcare, real estate, food and beverage, whatever it is, you know full well just how time consuming and generally how much of a challenge it can be. We know training is your literal one-stop solution partner to streamline and monetize your training, empower your learners and move the needle on your business goals. They take care of everything to provide you with a fully managed training solution that will have you covering off all your bases. From instructional design to online training technology, they will take care of literally everything for you. So you have one less thing to worry about. And I can tell you personally, I've known the group behind We Know Training. I've known this company for a lot of years. They get 
what's going on when it comes to intuitive, informed training solutions across the country. They're the absolute leaders in the regulated training space, and they use agile business models like revenue share, acquisitions, and new ventures to provide better training that meets real business needs and actually changes behavior. If you want a training partner that will help you deliver big wins, give We Know Training a call. You can learn more about them online right now at weknowtraining.ca. All right, let's get to the lead. You know, Ryan, any of the OG sort of real talk listeners, you know, who have been following a lot of our back and forth and our segments together will know that the very first time I came on your show, was the Friday after I left my radio gig. And, uh, you know, we talked about just, <laughs> you know, there's no other way to put it, just how fucked up it was, right? That I was getting rape threats directed toward my daughter. And like, I think a lot of people at the time understood and were very sympathetic to the notion that it was generally quite terrible why I had to leave my radio gig, right? I mean, I'm concerned about the safety of my small child, but few people really got that a lot of the vitriol I was getting sent my way was because of the amount of misinformation um, that we allowed on air. And if anybody wants to check out uh, the, that Real Talk episode I'm referring to, it's from December 4th of 2020, you know, it's in the archives, they can check it out. Um, and so this week, my, my column for the National Observer was basically on, you know, on, on this issue of how we don't do a very good job of covering um, you know, misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theory type rhetoric that gets into politics, that gets everyone all super ragey um, and you know, just sort of poisons our, our general discourse. And it's, it's really shitty because if you are um, a minority, if you're you know, Muslim, Jewish, you're part of the LGBTQ community, you're racialized, you know, black, indigenous, whatever it may be, when the misinformation is targeting your specific community, um, it's not unsurprising that the hate that exp that is experienced by that community, you know, sort of uh, increases as a result. And you know, there are a lot of really good examples of this within the Canadian uh, political sphere. I mean, Motion 103, the motion to condemn Islamophobia, is a really good example. We had folks uh, at the time that were saying it was going to, you know, criminalize all criticism of Islam, which was simply not the case. People kept conflating the motion for a bill, saying it was legislation when it was not. It was just a motion. Uh, you know, a non-binding sort of expression of the opinion of the House at the time. And it's just, uh, it's it's bad because things are, are going to get worse. Um, and, you know, it was one thing when it was Bernier and the PPC, they don't have a seat in the House of Commons, but like what happens when, you know, Pierre Polyev becomes leader of the Conservative Party and part of his whole shtick is like conspiracy theories about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset, like, that's just a really shitty place to be. And I mean, you know, you had a, an interview this week with, with Danielle Smith, um, you know, in the running for UCP leader. And yeah, I don't know, that interview got kind of interesting as well from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, to say the least. And I think one of the reasons why we've made this our lead this week is because there's more and more examples of, of this becoming a so-called mainstream reality, right? Like, you, you know, you, you reference Maxime Bernier and the, the People's Party of Canada perceived as a fringe party so to speak, but Canadians are now seeing the Conservative Party of Canada's likely leader, Pierre Polyev, getting pretty comfortable with those Freedom Convoy organizers. As mentioned, Danielle Smith, who's 
quite likely could be the next premier of Alberta. She certainly looks poised to take the leadership of the United Conservative Party, inviting Theron Fleury up on stage with her, inviting Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky up on stage with her. If people don't recognize the names, just Google them. I mean, these are polarizing figures that are peddling conspiracy theories on the regular. And this woman is quite likely, I mean, she's got a real fighting chance to be Alberta's next premier, so it's really catching people's attention. But in her own words, Sapria, let me bring you a quick little bit from our conversation with her. People can watch the full interview online. Uh, it's in the Real Talk archives. She's talking about Alberta Health Services during the pandemic, specifically fired CEO Verna Yu. Check this out. I think we have to uh, challenge Alberta Health Services. They are, are either incompetent or that, or they went out of their way to sabotage the UCP government. I watched the very first press conference that the premier gave back in, in March or, or April, where he gave direct instruction to Alberta Health Services to increase the number of ICU beds by 1,089. And then I think everybody was going along thinking they were working on finding that surge capacity. Then when the Delta variant came along last fall, we found out that not only had they not increased ICU beds, they had decreased them. You don't really think that Alberta Health Services was trying to sabotage the government, do you? I don't know how to interpret it any other way. All I do know is that Dr. Bernard Yu was let go a month, a year before her uh, her contract extension was up. So somebody's come to the same conclusion I has that she just wasn't up for the job. So obviously an inflammatory comment from Danielle Smith, some journalists even suggesting that it, it could be libelous. Uh, we'll see what happens from there. But it caught a lot of people's attention because uh, what she was asserting simply wasn't true. We talked to experts that have studied the state of ICUs across Canada, uh, a Royal Commission report, and they found that to scale up a thousand ICU beds would take the better part of a year, considering the training that needs to happen. And with Canada's nursing shortage, Sapria, quite frankly, impossible. Yeah. And I love this sort of undercurrent where they're like, why aren't there more ICU beds? That's always what it comes to. But it's like you need people for those beds. You can't just go and buy beds and have them unstaffed. Training takes time, um, particularly in an ICU setting. And it's just a, a little, you know, ridiculous, I think, that we're still using that sort of talking point. But let me ask you something, because this is part of the conversation that, um, you know, has sort of evolved throughout this. But like, how do you go about covering people? like a Pierre Polyev, like a Danielle Smith, like a Maxime Bernier, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, without sort of giving them uh, a free drive to the hoop, right? Without platforming them mm. necessarily, uh, while also pushing back, um, but, you know, not really seeming like it's an adversarial type of fact check during uh, a real-time sort of interview, because there's there's, there is a balance there. Um, you know, we can't just ignore people that are likely going to be leaders in this country. And so I don't know, like, how do you actually go about covering politicians who who peddle this sort of stuff? Well, one of the things I appreciate about your headline, you talked about your National Observer piece. You, the headline asserts Canadians ignore it at your own peril. And that's the idea here as well. I mean, I tweeted about this just a short time after that interview with Danielle Smith. A lot of people were pissed off with the so-called platforming of her message. She could be the next premier of Alberta. This isn't, this isn't some hillbilly wackadoodle in the backwoods yeah. of nowhere that drove into town to the internet cafe to post their blog. This is the person that could be the premier. It's not a talk show that's going to make this person famous. They're here, whether you like it or not, pulling the strings of power. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous to assert that you shouldn't be talking. If anything, this message needs to be amplified 
to the time, to the point, it gets all over Canadians' radar so more people are aware of what's happening. How else are you going to mobilize a population? Political power is achieved by people who can convince the majority to stay home and stay apathetic. And that's where I get really concerned. Yeah, I mean, totally. And if you just look at what's happened in so many other jurisdictions, you know, like Brazil, India, and of course the U.S., but what happens when the sort of, you know, rhetoric of uh, misinformation becomes mainstreamed by the political establishment and you really do have two different sets of reality, um, you know, the January 6th committee hearings in the U.S. should really serve as a really fucking stark warning for Canadians uh, about what can happen when you have one side of the political aisle um, living in this like, you know, separate information stream and how it can really poison um, the just the political environment, but just also generally the discourse. And I mean, you know, the best conspiracy theories always have a little bit of nugget of truth to them. And the people that get pulled down these rabbit holes, they're not bad people. None of these people wake up in the morning and are like, oh, I'm going to go, um, you know, put out conspiracy theories on on the Internet. Um, they get sucked in because you have these often in the, in the concept of conspiracy theories, um, an easier explanation uh, for things. And it's right now, especially, it's really easy and really tempting to buy into a lot of that. But anyway, I just want to like put it out there that we should be covering this better. And I would really, really implore, you know, legacy political media types not to just like chalk this up as like American style politics, because a lot of this shit has been around in Canada for quite some time. I'm not saying we're obviously, you know, to a degree, we're always going to be influenced by the US. That is that is true. But it's not as though Canadians don't have our own issues with this. And um, quite frankly, we should be doing a, a whole, you know, fuck of a better job of covering this. Yeah, we need to blast light all over it. I'll tell you this much. People can get in touch with us anytime they want. Talk at seriouslypod.com. Just before you and I started recording this episode, I got an email from a guy that's so pissed off at my interview with Danielle Smith. Says I treated her unfairly. Says I cracked on her too hard. Says I wrote off Theron Fleury's theories about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the vaccine and pedophiles without listening to Theo, without hearing him out. It balanced out the conversation or the criticism from all the lefties who were choked that I was talking to Danielle Smith in the first place. And I find that if we've pissed off both sides of the spectrum, we're probably doing our job, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable. Hey, here's another story that we're keeping an eye on. And I know that this is a big deal for anybody with kids under five years of age in Canada. Here's Dr. Supriya Sharma at Health Canada. Today, I'm here to talk to you about Health Canada's authorization of Moderna's Spikevax COVID-19 vaccine for children six months to five years of age. This is the first COVID-19 vaccine authorized for in Canada for this age group, which means that approximately 1.7 million children in Canada are now eligible to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Health Canada received Moderna's submission for children six months to five years of age on April 29th, and this submission built upon data from clinical trials in adults and older children, as well as the experience of administering hundreds of millions of doses worldwide. Health Canada authorized this vaccine as a two-dose primary series administered four weeks apart. It's a smaller dose of 25 micrograms, which is half the dose authorized for children 6 to 11 years of age, and one quarter of the dose authorized for people over the age of 12. Okay, so good news for people, parents in particular, caregivers that have been waiting for that vaccine for kids under five, but 
How optimistic are we? The uptake for kids 6 to 12 wasn't great. 6 to 11, like just over 40% compared to 80 plus percent for adults. Where are you at on it? I mean, look, I've been gunning for my kid to be able to get vaccinated. She just turned three recently. So this is very good news for us. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not optimistic that there are going to be a ton of parents. And I, and I understand why. I mean, aside from all of the, you know, anti-vax disinformation that is out there and that is quite prevalent, um, you also have quite a few premiers and quite a few, you know, public health officials, including Dr. Moore here in Ontario, um, that seem to be at least uh, not necessarily full-throatedly endorsing vaccination for kids. I mean, Dr. Moore recently said that the risk of myocarditis is about one in 5,000, and myocarditis is the inflammation of the heart muscle, and that inflammation, once it does happen, can reduce the heart's ability to be able to, you know, pump blood. And it is a possible known side effect of the COVID vaccine. Now, the issue is that that one in 5,000 number that Dr. Moore cited is a very specific subset. It's for um, males 18 to 24 uh, once they've gotten the second dose. The, the actual risk of myocarditis is somewhere around one in 61-ish thousand. And um, so that's a lot lower, obviously, than one in 5,000. But if you throw out that one in, in 5,000 number to parents, of course, they're going to be worried. But here too, there's like a delicate sort of balance and dance because you want to be giving people as much information as possible um, without, you know, necessarily uh, putting more fire onto the anti-vax, <laughs> uh, putting more fuel onto the anti-vax fire. And like, I don't know how you go about doing that in this environment where everybody's on the internet all the time, everybody's getting their information from, you know, sometimes illegitimate sources. But like, are, are you optimistic that kids are going to get vaccinated? Because I'm really not. I think it's I think it depends to a certain degree on what happens with this next wave. All the experts are telling us that we're about to get walloped again. And this whole idea that we're out of COVID, I get that people are sick of wearing masks. I get that people want to get back to their regular routines. And we've got beautiful weather. We see some of Canada's most prominent music festivals and street performers festivals and food festivals and children's festivals happening and everybody's eager to get out there. And I don't see a ton of masks on. Maybe when kids start getting ready to go back to school, maybe mid yeah. mid to late August, heading into the Labor Day weekend, if those numbers are still sky high, I don't know why parents wouldn't. I mean, I can think of some reasons why parents wouldn't, but I would think that the majority would want to send their kids back into the classroom with as much protection as they possibly can. This all comes down to messaging. It comes down to what people are saying, not just what the politicians are saying, which is important, and the health experts obviously but I think on the sidelines at soccer games and parents that are talking about, you know, the kids at swimming lessons, are you doing it? Yeah, Have you at done the park. It? Are you doing it just, at the park? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I mean, there's interesting polling from Angus Reid on this, actually, that just goes to the divide on boosters. And this is about adults, um, you know, the, these numbers. But like you can see right there, agree or disagree. I'm willing to get a booster each year for as long as it's recommended. 62% agree, 30% disagree. And then when you get into the actual numbers, there is quite a range in terms of what your political affiliation is. And, you know, if you vote conservative or green or PPC, you're higher to disagree. You're more likely to disagree with that statement. And, you know, it's just so much of this rhetoric, you, you mentioned it's not just the politicians, but so much of it is in fact poisoned by, by politicians as well. 
And I, I don't know, I feel like we, we've really just shot ourselves in the dick with this well, because like, what do you do when, you know, we have, we come up with like an intranasal vaccine that's super effective at stopping transmission or super effective at like, you know, kind of immediately sort of reducing that viral load. And it really helps on the transmission front. And you've convinced everybody that vaccines are kind of bullshit and don't do anything. I, I just, I'm not really sure where to go from here. You mentioned, and, and I love that, you know, you're coming to our audience from Toronto. I'm coming from Edmonton. And and in Alberta right now, as most people know, there is that race to replace Premier Jason Kenney as Premier of Alberta. And and it's been a bit of a race to the bottom with some of the higher profile candidates, including Alberta's finance minister, Travis Taves, who basically says enough is enough. If you've got your two shots, if you've got your two vaccinations, uh, that's enough. You know, that's enough. That's enough. And I'm sitting there going like you're not a virologist. You're not an immunologist. You're a politician. You're you're maybe a, a decently skilled finance minister, but I'm not sure where politicians get up. You know, people are sort of saying I've had two shots or I had two and then my booster. But but that's enough. Why? And why? Like, why? why? Is there, why? there there's no why scientific justification for it? It's like it's a thing where you just kind of, you know, you buy a new membership to the gym and you go for three weeks and then you're just like, eh, fuck it. You know, it just kind of it became inconvenient or my muscles hurt after or I, I found other things to do. It sort of feels like a almost more of a COVID exhaustion type thing as opposed to a scientific cynicism. Uh, if the experts are claiming we're still going to need it, then you'd think that the average person would say, yeah, I'm in on that. We want COVID to ultimately go away. But I think it's that message as well that this ultimate endemic stage when Canada reaches that endemic stage or when planet Earth does anyway, then people are going to maybe adopt the attitude. Well, if it's here all the time, then I guess it's something we're just going to learn to live with. And and maybe that sort of apathy uh, will prove to be more dangerous than most people think right now. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know, it's just so fucking entitled of the Western world. We have all these vaccines that are available to us at our disposal, uh, you know, the drop of a hat, we can walk into a pharmacy and get vaccinated, get protected. And meanwhile, so much of the developing world um, remains unvaccinated uh, and doesn't have access to vaccines. And we're just sitting on them and, you know, throwing them out, essentially, because they're they're going bad. It's just... Uh, we need to get our heads out of our asses with this with this stuff, man. Hey, like, caregivers, parents, we want to hear from you. If you have kids five and under, are you planning on getting them vaccinated? Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter. You can email us, talk at seriouslypod.com. And, of course, you can find us online at seriouslypod.com. Before we go, here's a story we can't ignore. Here's Patrick Brown just a short while ago. Unfortunately, the Conservative Party did not want to have a free and fair election. They did not want to have a democratic election. You know, we're still pursuing our legal options to make sure what was done is exposed. Um, But I've come to the conclusion uh, that based on what um, the actions taken, that it would be impossible to have a free and fair election at this point when ballots have already already been sent out weeks ago. And that's fine because I'm excited to be here in Brampton and that's where I'm going to serve. All right. He's going to run again. He wants to be the mayor Ah. of Brampton again, even though half his council's fighting with him. Yeah, they had to cancel a meeting actually recently because like half a council like didn't show up or something. But yeah, look, he's running for re-election. I don't think this surprises anybody because he's like one of these perpetual politicians, right? I don't know if he's ever had a real job outside of politics, which like, I don't know, whatever, fine. Neither has Pierre Polyev. Um, but I think what is especially galling about that clip to me is that he's, you know, running for re-election. He's announcing it. And as his way out of the CPC leadership race, he's still like lobbing bombs. He's just like, and they, you know, this was all orchestrated and like, you know, they're trying to oust me. And I don't know. He's also said that like his supporters should support, you know, Charest or, um, 
Aitchison, uh, in terms of the, the leadership race, he believes them to be a little bit more moderate to represent uh, some of those centrist or moderate values. Uh, but if you're Charest or, or, or Scott Aitchison, I mean, don't you look at Brown and you're like, ooh, like, no, 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 like, don't, don't endorse me or don't say anything about <laughs> yeah. me because like, dude, you're trying to blow up our fucking party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is a bullshit race. There's no integrity to it. And they didn't want to run a fair one. Yeah. But still vote for this guy who's my choice <laughs> yeah. in this fucked yeah. up unfair race that lacks integrity. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't quite get it. I, I thought that uh, I mean, I, listen, if you want to know where where I'm really at with this conservative leadership race, it would be completely irresponsible uh, and, and quite frankly, inappropriate, Supriya, if we were to ignore it, if we were to not talk about it, if we were to not cover it. But it feels to me like this thing has been set in stone for the last two months. I mean, I, I give Pierre Polyev credit. His videos, his messaging, his his, his entire presentation is so compelling. Uh, he is absolutely blown away the rest of the race uh, with respect to Jean Charest, uh, who came in, I think, with a with a, a decent political reputation, with a CV right. that d- that demands uh, that he be taken seriously to a certain degree. Uh, so for a born and raised Montrealer, you may have a different yeah. opinion about your former premier. But let me just say, you talk about Baber and Aitchison and, and, and even Dr. Leslin Lewis to a certain degree. People don't know who the fuck these people are. This was a two-horse race, maybe a three-horse race from the very beginning, but, but uh, unless the horse breaks its leg on the home stretch Pierre Polyev's going to win this thing by a country mile yeah and I'm just curious to see if he wins it on first ballot or not I think that's the only sort of uh betting you know that's going on right now but a credit to his campaign team and the folks behind him because they've really done just a stellar job of uh, positioning him not only as the front runner and running a front runner you know campaign and, and and strategy behind it um, but just all of the messaging, you know, from everything, and I don't, I don't agree with a whole chunk of it, right? Like I don't agree with the whole gatekeeper stuff or, or whatever, but did you see the passport, uh, video where he, uh, you know, went through the line at the passport office? Like, he's just really good at being able to, to, I think, connect with, with people and to tap into some of that, uh, you know, anger and frustration that's out there. So, eh, ooh, it, like, the, whenever the next election is, he's leveraging uh, it. He's he's he's. It's like a server a surfer catching a wave, right? Like he's he he sees this wave, which is dangerous. I mean, it's I, I'm not comparing the individuals. I'm not necessarily even comparing the campaigns, but it's exactly what Donald Trump did, and it worked. It's what Daniel Smith's trying to do in Alberta, and it may work. It will probably work. Listen, the thing that we guarantee we're going to do every Wednesday when this show comes out, Supriya, the promise we'll make to our seriously audiences that we're going to keep this show tight so you can catch it on your dog walk or on your commute to or from work. So we're going to wrap soon. But before we do, I want to circle back on Patrick Brown for a second. He didn't walk away from this for no reason. There, there was there was a whistleblower, the, uh, Ms. Jodouin, within the campaign that said that there was financial buggery, that, that there was some sort of gray areas, some numbers that didn't work out. She didn't feel comfortable about it. Feels like a bit of a Trojan horse situation to me, but but I digress. But but this this race ended for Patrick Brown amidst controversy and it's not the first time in his career Uh, he's also lost half of his city council as mentioned in brampton a letter from them to him suggesting it's time for him to leave with all this going on around him all this noise so to speak are you surprised he wants to earn another term 
I mean, if this was anybody else, I would say, yes, I would have been surprised because in a situation like that, you want to, I would imagine you'd want to put your focus to clearing your name, right? And uh, that would take quite a bit of attention and time from your perspective. But again, Patrick Brown, folks from out West may or may not remember, I think folks in, in Ontario will remember this, but when he was booted from uh, as, as leader of the PCs, you know, he tried to get back into the leadership race there. They, you know, last minute kerfuffle, he wasn't able to do that. And then he signed up super last minute to run for mayor as Brampton. And the whole joke was that like the ink hadn't even dried on his uh, apartment lease yet to be able to get the residency requirement to, to be in Brampton before he had to run. Like this guy is just a perpetual politician. Uh, he's always trying to run for something. So that's why I'm not surprised that he's doing this. But again, anyone else, I would be him. Not so much. All right. All right. That does our first episode of Seriously. Uh, Make sure to check us out at seriouslypod.com. That's right. We make it easy for you to make sense of the week's news on the website. You can find the links to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find them. We're on YouTube as well. Thanks for liking and subscribing. And of course, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. We want to hear from you. Shoot us an email to talk at seriouslypod.com. 